Here comes Schofield. Oh! Oh! Nastiness. Wait a second. Driving left, dunking right over Love. All right. Who can do it? Well, I, I do like lanes. That's what she said. He's got everything going early on. Schofield the fifth. And look at the Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, cold, cold, rainy day in Knoxville, Tennessee time. The Tennessee basketball offense making this a warmer day in Tennessee time. Also, the return of T. Martin making this a warmer day in Tennessee time. Whatever time of day it is, it's the right time for the Go Vols. 24-7 podcast, West Rucker, Grant Ramey coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio on a chilly, dark, very wintry Thursday afternoon in Knoxville, Tennessee. Going to be dropping this to you on a Friday morning. Right now, very candidly, we just spoke with Tennessee basketball coach Rick Barnes, and we are recording this podcast while the team is watching film and then stretching, working out, and getting ready to head back out to the practice floor. So this left us a nice window to get this done this afternoon. Probably should have gotten done earlier today, but Grant texted me and I did not get it. So we're doing this now. But hey, it worked out, Grant, didn't it? You didn't receive the text or you just didn't understand it? I didn't receive it. Did not notice that it had texted. Well, you might have had trouble understanding. No, I had one of those. Complex use of the language. No, what happened was it was one of those days where, you know, I thought... Mama said there'd be days like this. Yeah, basically. It was one of those days where my phone just, it didn't consistently beep, you know, and, and it's I kind of thought, man, it's kind of, this is a good day. I love the sound of my text. It's the sound of a, um, like a putt going in into the hole, but, and that's a good sound. Normally that means you, you did something good. That's how I, that's how I've... I put that on my phone so I would not be unhappy when it beeped all the time. But this afternoon, it's like, man, kind of, this is a good day. Not a lot of people bother me, just reading a little bit on my book here about this Russian spy, really enjoying it, nice afternoon, don't have to go to practice till later. And then realized my phone was on silent, and I looked down and it had uh, 42 text messages on it. So. Whoops. Whoopsie. I don't think I've used a ringtone on my text messages since, like, the iPhone 4. Yeah, but you're... You just recently, until like... Strictly vibrate. Uh, until a week ago, you had like the iPhone 4. It's true, but point stands. It's been a while. Yeah, I just... Um, Get way too many text messages for it to be dinging all day. Yeah, that's kind of the, the problem is you don't want to miss them, but then we have a group text that goes all day long. Grant, what's the record on... Because see, Grant's got two kids. This is not not a secret. I'm not dropping new ground here. And so Papa, breaking. So Papa goes to bed a little bit earlier than the rest of us usually do. And... What's the record you've you've woken up with in the morning and seen the number of text messages? Uh, three in the three thirties, I think. So that is why a lot of us don't like to turn our phones on to uh, beep mode all the time. The key is to have one vibrate for everybody else and to have a different version for your wife, so you know what's important. Ah, you know the ones to answer. Well, see, because normally I have a wife with the patience of Job, but we'll be sitting there some nights, and she loves everyone that I work with legitimately. But she, and she's kind of a team mom because we do the podcast here and she's good about, you know, 
just you know making sure everyone's got like you know drinks, she snacks, the juice boxes, and the yeah. uh, oatmeal pies. That, that's sort of her 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 job, for lack of a better word, uh, with this. Uh, she actually has another full time job, but uh, keeping up with us toddlers is another one of them. And so, but she loves everyone. But they'll be nice when we're sitting there trying to you know catch up on a few episodes or something, watch a movie, and my phone will beep and she'll just say go away and if if it's her doing that then you know that we text quite a bit but regardless we are here today disaster averted we'll be bringing this to you first thing on friday morning i believe and uh, if there's anything that happens during tennessee's basketball practice that becomes of note then i will come back here and provide an addendum to this episode after the fact but right now it uh, looks like Tennessee is good to go. The third-ranked Vols, 15-1 and overall, 4-0 in the SEC after a real thumping, real thumping of Arkansas on Tuesday night in Thompson Bowling Arena. 106-87, felt like Tennessee could have scored 120 if it wanted to. Uh, just one of the most complete offensive performances I've ever seen uh, from a college basketball team. And I think the defense maybe wasn't great, but Tennessee was never in danger of losing that game. And I don't care what you say. I don't care how mature you are. Sometimes you play the scoreboard, and I think that's what Tennessee did defensively in the second half. Uh, but regardless, Tennessee, 106-87, could have been a lot more than that. Grant, have you seen a more complete offensive performance? It's been a while, and it's it's uh, it kind of gets overshadowed by giving up 53 points in the second half when they had only given up 60 points a game over their first three SEC games. Uh, Arkansas is not a very good team. They're inexperienced. They're young. They can hit shots. Daniel Gafford's obviously probably a future lottery pick. Uh, all that stuff. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, what, they have 55 at halftime, something like that, 50-something. That seems right. Uh, I mean, up 21 at halftime, the lead was as much as 30 in the second half. They were up 55-34 at halftime, and they were outscored 53-51 in the second half. It's, it's not the worst thing in the world to win a game by 19 and to have a really mad coach afterward that says you have to get better and you have to do all this stuff better. You have to play better transition defense, uh, better defense in general. Uh, better ball screen defense, all that stuff. That, that that's good news for them because it's win number eleven in a row. They're uh, they're getting to some pretty historic numbers, uh, fifteen and one overall, four and zero in the SEC, obviously. So yeah, they just kind of keep rolling. They're, they just kind of keep doing their thing, night in and night out. Different people do different stuff. Uh, different people put up big numbers uh, consistently, and they just keep kind of rolling right along. Yeah, there was one point during that game, and I'm trying to pull up this stat real quick. Uh, which a smarter person would have done before the podcast started, but I just now thought of this. Because there was a time there in the second half where I saw just legitimately one of the most complete offensive performances that I had ever seen in this business, at least from a college team. I've seen some NBA teams do some ridiculous stuff. But uh, Tennessee at one point during this game in the second half, it, it was crazy, was 741 left in the game. 741 left in the game. So you had played at that point 20 – you'd played 32 minutes and 19 seconds. In the first 32 minutes and 19 seconds of that game, Tennessee was 26 of 44 from the field, which is 59.1%. 10 of 15 from three-point range, which is 66.7%. And 29 of 33, which is 87.9% from the free throw line. That is offensive efficiency – that you will – I mean, that, that that's like what happens when – if Tennessee's starters played like a D2 team, mm-hmm. you would – Those are the numbers or, you Or if went down and played like a D3 Maryville College team, you would expect numbers like this. Because even against air, these numbers are pretty good mm-hmm. for the most part. 
if you go from shoot there off air and you have 10 to 15 threes, that's good. If you go on air and you make 29 or 33 free throws, that's pretty good. From the field, depends on where you're shooting them from, but 59.1% against an SEC defense is uh, pretty ridiculous. And I think Tennessee, with about five minutes to go, you could really tell, took the air out of the ball, uh, mercifully sort of start, started running some clock. And, and I think Rick Barnes, if he's not going to put the walk-ons in, I like what he did in that he did get Grant Williams off the floor for the final five minutes or so. And he kept Admiral Schofield out there because Schofield hadn't played much at all in the first half. Seven foul trouble. Yeah, so he left him out there. And what he did was he kept him out there, but he intentionally ran some different stuff. And they played more of a zone on defense to see if they could mix that in a little bit. Uh, they, they did a couple different sets on offense, some stuff they hadn't done as much before. So you could tell if you're not going to play the bench guys a ton, if you're not going to play the walk-ons, I mean, then the second best thing you can do is have your guys out there running different stuff. So I, I didn't mind them doing that. And I think Arkansas, you know, kind of feasted on that two, three zone a little bit, started hitting some threes in the last few minutes and, and made that a little closer than it really seemed. It was about a 30 point game, if we're being honest, but this is where Tennessee is right now, 15-1, and 4-0, and it looks like Tennessee, uh, if it takes care of business Saturday, has a chance to move up to number two in the polls, maybe even number one, but probably number two, uh, because Duke uh, had a big, bad loss at home uh, to Syracuse and lost its starting point guard. 17-point favorite at home. Yeah, and lost uh, Cam Reddish, looks like, for at least. No, Trey uh, Jones. I'm sorry, sorry, Trey, Trey Jones. Reddish was out Reddish, sick. Reddish was sick. Reddish was sick going into the and game. And then Trey, Trey Jones, Jones yeah. dove for a loose ball and sprained his AC joint. So and he's anyone, out for a while. Yeah, if you've, if you've you know sprained slash dislocated that AC joint, that is really hard to come back from. And even when you do, you're not really – you know, I mean, guys like Lamonte Turner have had surgery and stuff because of things like this. Mm-hmm. So it's it's never – you see this injury more in football. It seems like almost every other football player has it. Um, but it does happen sometimes in basketball, and that's going to be a problem not just now, but it's going to be a problem even when he comes back maybe six, eight weeks from now. So that completely changes things, I think, because Duke, without his pressure on the ball, is not the same caliber team. And, and now a team that didn't have a lot of depth anyway all of a sudden doesn't have yeah. – he has even less depth. And then you start looking across the country and you go, okay, uh, Michigan still unblemished, still looks really good. And Virginia looks even better than it did last season when it was ranked number one for most of the season. But uh, I think the way Virginia lost that UMBC game, uh, I think that still haunts a lot of people. Uh, and I still was talking about this um, last night, I believe, no, I shouldn't say last night, Wednesday night. Uh, with the friend who's one of the, the national media types. And he was telling me that he didn't think Virginia was that much better. And I said, well, look at the numbers. They Offensively, they're they're putting up more points. They're doing more things. And he said, yeah, well, look at the tempo. They're still 3-5-3 three, three in mm-hmm. tempo. And he said it's hard to win a tournament playing that style of basketball. So, again, there's holes in that Virginia team, which doesn't have to play as slow as it does. It's just that's what Tony Bennett does. Right. But you start looking at it now, and you can see kind of a clear separation of a, of a top tier in college basketball right now. And, and Tennessee is very much, if not at the top of that tier, right near the top of that tier. And this team just looks like, I mean, knock on wood, of course, but things are going pretty well. And, and the, the offensive numbers, as crazy as they are, Against Arkansas, though they're not the stuff you're referencing, it's not breaking news. I think that was the eighth straight game they've shot over 50% from the field, uh, which is a really big number. Uh, they're averaging between 1.2, 1.3 points per possession uh, over these last 
handful of games, maybe the last eight games. And second nationally in adjusted offensive efficiency. Right, right. I mean, mean, what they've done, and it's not a recent thing either. This has been an all-season thing. They've been this efficient. They've been... They've been playing this well offensively. The defense has had to catch up a little bit, and it looked like it had uh, to start SEC SEC play. And, and minus that second half at Arkansas, it still looks like it's uh, heading in the right direction. But, yeah, this team, based on those numbers, based on what it can do both ends, the way it just kind of takes care of business, uh, night in and night out. Last, last week we talked about uh, just kind of waiting for a bad night at the office uh, before you really judge this team. Maybe that was a bad night at the office, and you win by 20. Uh, obviously, you're not going to play Arkansas every night. Uh, the next, Correct. the next eight games, and Arkansas's backcourt is young, right? And, Talented, and, but young. The next eight games, if you go down the list on Ken Palm, I think the the smallest uh, percentage chance to win for Tennessee is 84, uh, percent and that's because you're playing the Alabamas, the Vanderbilts, the South Carolinas, the Texas A&Ms. Um, Poor Vandy, man, what a gut punch of a loss it took. Yeah, it a, took two. That's two a hard a team to figure out. Uh, but regardless, the next eight games, it's it's teams that have five or more losses, uh, some teams that are struggling right now. Uh, South Carolina is not included in that group because of what they've done since SEC play started. And then you look at the last seven games, and it's uh, it's the Kentucky home-and-home. Home. It's a, a game at LSU. It's a game at Ole Miss. It's a home game against Mississippi State. It's a, a game at Auburn. Uh, I think there's seven games. I think it's four ranked opponents uh, and five ranked games as of now, how the how the poll looks right now, uh, so they're they they've got a they've got a while to go before they really it feels like they're really going to be tested, even if they do drop a game between now and then. Uh, but you look at it, fifteen and one, eleven straight wins. It's not insane to think uh, this team could get twenty three and one. Yeah, and then going down the stretch against uh, the 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 SEC did a really nice job of making this. Tough on Tennessee and, in the and final, the, the, the question final five or six games that I posed on the Hoopsville board the other day: Would you rather have those tough games sprinkled throughout the last fifteen games on schedule, uh, the last half of the schedule, or would you rather have them grouped together the way they are at the end, where that's pretty good tournament prep? No, I think you'd want them stacked at the end. I think that gets you ready for postseason. But play. there was a there was I kind of thought that myself, but there was a response kind of uh, devil's advocate that. Uh, if you drop a couple of those games, maybe it affects your seed line because it's happening so late in the uh, season and so close to selection. Someday. And because then the then the then the you you get the perception out there that right. you're struggling. You you get that that image that 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 maybe you played your best ball earlier in the season. Of course, the other thing is I look at those I look at those games and I still think yeah some of those are difficult games, but how many of those teams really should beat Tennessee? It's still not a small number. It's it's still a really small number. Right. I mean. You know, obviously you go to Kentucky, you know you're going to be in for a battle there. Uh, LSU I still think is really talented, but a year away. Uh, I know it's undefeated in the league, and kudos to Will Wade for doing that. But they kind of feel like uh, Tennessee felt last year. A little bit, yeah. I can I can see that. Uh, maybe a little more talented, not quite as polished, but still, um, yeah, I think that's right around the same thing. And then at Auburn, you know that's going to be a tough game uh, because of all the three-point shots that, that that team takes and in its own arena. That's a really and, it's, and it's the last game of the season, and you just have no idea how much both teams are going to change between now and March, whatever it is. And if Tennessee has, for instance, the SEC title wrapped up going into that game, right? then, you know, you're you're going into a pit. Do you, you know how much – Don't fall into the pit. Yeah, how, how much – yeah, you, you know, I was into the pit. Yeah, you don't want to do that. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think that this this thing – works out pretty well for Tennessee uh, in that way. And I, I get the devil's advocate argument. I still just think you'd want to play 
as many tough games as you possibly could going into it. And who knows? Maybe this is the kind of team that would play better as a two seed than a one seed. Maybe the one seed pressure would get to them. I don't. And it, I don't know. I mean, you could make tons of different arguments. It feels there. like when you talk about win streaks and stuff, it's natural. I think as a fan, as a sports fan, to say don't jinx it or don't uh, give this team bad mojo. Uh, but they've won eleven in a row, and they just kind of. I mean, aside from Gonzaga, which obviously you're going to expect to be a really tough game, it's just been kind of taking care of business against lesser opponents. Uh, yeah. I mean, handling their business the right way. And when you look at the next eight games, Alabama at Vanderbilt, West Virginia, at South Carolina, at A&M, Missouri, Florida, South Carolina, it feels like those are, for the most part, lesser opponents. Did you uh, rattle those off without looking at the schedule? No, I have it in front of me. I was about to say, that would be really impressive Hashtag recall. professional. No, I've, got, I've got notes in my hand here. Can't remember what I had for breakfast. But I will say that, that one thing that really caught my attention, and uh, Grant actually steered me in the way of writing this column, and that got me to digging more into this, so kudos to Grant for that, too. Uh, I'm going to say kudos as many times as I can in this episode, apparently. But Tennessee right now has six players averaging double-figure scoring per night. And if you want to know how unusual that is, one of the teams that I think of when I thought of a team that had this many scoring options, and I don't know why I went back, you know, if there were any that I missed in between, but that 95-96 Kentucky team was about as loaded as any team I can remember. And that team had three double-figure scorers. Now, it had one more around nine points a game, another around eight points a game, seven points a game. So it's kind of the same thing as this Tennessee team is. And I would be shocked if Tennessee averages, ends the season with six double-figure scorers. I think five and maybe someone else around eight or nine is more realistic um, just because that, that's hard to keep doing that every night. But um, Lamonte Turner coming back has given this team maybe two, maybe the two best bench players in the league right now. Uh, so Tennessee has two guys, Williams and Schofield, competing with each other for SEC Player of the Year up there with a couple other guys. Hagans and some other guys are – are kind of getting themselves in the mix. And then you've also, you know, got a couple Auburn guys who will be in that race. But then Tennessee also has two of the favorites for SEC six-man of the year, the reigning player of the year or reigning six-man of the year, Lamonte Turner, and then Jordan Bowden, who, as he told Grant earlier this season, wants to be the first guy in history to go from starter to bench guy to six-man of the year uh, in his career, uh, which is – uh, an unusual goal, but a good one nonetheless. And I think that he's embraced coming off the bench. And I think the time that he had to spend playing point guard when Lamonte Turner was out, I think benefited him a lot. I think it got him uh, a little bit more all around with his game instead of just catch and shoot because he was always in that catch and shoot mold, that catch and shoot mindset, even though his game's always been so much more than that. But without that, now Lamonte Turner is back. Bowden goes back to playing off the ball most of the time. And he had been averaging 19 points a game, second in conference play uh, in, in the SEC among every among everyone in, in conference games. But he had done all of that without making his three-pointers. He was over 40% for most of last season. And then he went into Saturday's or, or Tuesday's game, I think, 30.7% or 30.8%. And so he had been scoring in every other way except for the three-point line because he was like three for 11 or two for 11 in conference play. And then he goes out there and makes his first five against Arkansas. And so now he's adding all of that together. And it was a really, really good quote that I got from Lamonte Turner about uh, Jordan Bowden. And he said that all he is seeing from Jordan Bowden now is the player he always has been and hasn't showed. He said, and I think he's right about this, Lamonte said there are days where if you're watching practice, 
you'll walk off the floor thinking that Jordan Bowden's the best player on that team if you just go watch that practice because of his ability to impact the game on both sides, his complete package offensively with the way he can finish well above the rim, his quickness, the way he can dish the ball around, find the open man, the way he takes the right shots and makes them, in the way that he can impact people on the defensive end. And he said that he has seen Bowden straight up dominate several practices throughout the past three years, and so all he's seeing now is a guy who's finally doing that in a game. And, and he said maybe when I was out, Bowden thought he had to do more, and that, that got him going. He said, but, but even though I'm back now, we need Bowden to keep doing this because right. he, he, said, he said not a good player, a great basketball player. And, you know, Turner came back, put up 21 points in 19 minutes the other night. Uh, Bowden got his 19 points, so he's still second in league play uh, in the entire conference in scoring. And the, this is coming off the bench. Mm-hmm. So if you 40 can, points from two players I off mean, the bench. I that's mean, just, that's just unreal. That's, that's twice the production most bench teams, most teams get from their bench in an entire game from everyone. He's, he's very complete. Um, I think even when he struggled uh, the last year or so, times when he did struggle, I think Rick Barnes still lauded his defensive um, – progress uh the way he was a two-way player even uh if he was struggling offensively he didn't let it uh affect his defense and now what these guys are doing both Bowden and Lamonte it, they're scoring in different ways than they have in the past they're they're more conscious of the transition buckets of getting out and getting those run out dunks that they've had the last few nights uh or I guess the last handful of games for for Jordan Bowden and uh, when you, if if he starts shooting the way he did in the early part of last season, uh, he he had that five for five game at Wake Forest from three, and it felt like after that he yeah. kind of fell off uh, the map a little bit, and then he goes five for five the uh, the other night against Arkansas, uh, but it wasn't that big of a deal because he'd been scoring so consistently uh, before that and and scoring in different ways, and and you're right he's a uh, he's he's probably under you know. Under under the radar, the best athlete on this team. Uh, Eve yeah. Pons is a freak athlete, obviously. And everyone knows that. Right, and there's some guys on this roster that can jump and, and can do a lot of different things. But uh, the way Bowden can jump, he's the most underrated jumper on this roster by far, maybe the best dunker uh, on this roster. Not that that really – Yeah, he, he and Jalen Johnson can do it too. Not that that really makes you a better basketball player, but the way he can get to the rim – uh, the way he can cut and drive to the rim, uh, he's on the uh, he's on the end of some alley oops all the time on some of those set plays, yeah. like he was uh, the one against Memphis stands out. Uh, the way he runs out in transition, and now if if you mix that in with uh, what he can do from the three point line and what he can do from mid range, he he made that six man remark after they beat uh, Gonzaga. I think that was a handful of games after he had gone to the bench role. Uh, and he kind of laughed when he said it, so we kind of thought maybe he's kidding. But, no, he's he's for real, and I think he's talked to Lamonte Turner. Uh, I don't know if they've talked about it, but Lamonte's joke that, you know, you're kind of coming after my crown right here, and, and that's, a, that's a really good competition to have. Yeah, and, and I think people who keep asking why does Eve Pond stay in the starting lineup when he's not playing a ton of minutes and he's not, you know, he, he's clearly swimming right now. He's struggling mentally right now to, to play basketball. He, he looks uncomfortable. But I think keeping him in the starting lineup, I don't know why you would change anything. Because no, he definitely he, because he gives you great defensive energy uh, out there for the first few minutes of a game, and he he spends three or four minutes banging on the other team's wings and, and guards and tires them out a little bit, and then when they get a little dead leg, then you throw guys like Turner and Bowden out there, and and I I think it still sets up perfectly. I don't Eve Pons could could do this the rest of the season. I hope he doesn't. I hope he 
comes out of his shell a little bit more because I think he's got so much game when he just stops thinking and plays. But regardless, I don't know why you would change anything with this team right now. I, I think this is exactly where you want it to be. Here's here's a comparison. You talked about six scores. Uh, last year's Villanova team, Jalen Brunson, Mikel Bridges, Dante DiVincenzo, Amari Spellman, Eric Pascal, Phil Booth, they averaged 18, 17, 13, 10, 10, 10. That sounds a lot like this Tennessee roster. Yeah. Uh, they didn't have a ton behind those guys, obviously, because you're getting that much scoring from and those that was guys. And that was six guys, right? That was six guys. 18, 17, 13, 10, 10, 10. There I mean, you go. That's a, I mean, that you're, and you're talking about a national title. I think that's why when when kind of the national media, the national analysts in college basketball, it seems like they've fallen in love with Tennessee uh, the more they play at this rate is because I think you've seen it in the past from teams like Villanova that that's what it takes. You have to be that kind of a complete team to make those kind of runs. And you have to have a chemistry that this team very clearly has. It, it's no secret. When you talk to coaches, opposing coaches about this team, the thing that they consistently say is that they love playing together, and you can see that, mm-hmm. that they make each other better. They complement each other. They they help each other in areas where other guys struggle. They pick up slack. You know, they, they feed the hot hand, and, and they, they're unselfish. And – other than you know they're going to try to go to Grant Williams early, beyond that, and you know there's going to be a three- or four-minute stretch in there where Admiral just goes bonkers because he seems to do that once a game. Uh, and I laughed because I, I I could tell you as sure as anything um, that as soon as Schofield only played like six, seven minutes in that first half and didn't score, I thought, well, Admiral's going to get his because Admiral right. always gets his, and he goes out there and scores 14 consecutive points to open the second half. Those 17 points per game don't score themselves. No, they go out there. He's, he's going to get his. find it, and he, that's not a bad thing. Either. No, 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 he's not selfish, but he's going to get his. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And But the thing that gets me about this team is that we spend so much time right now, and we've talked about you know Turner coming back. We've talked about Bowden's resurgence. We've talked about at times this season the way Kyle Alexander's playing. And it just kind of flies under the radar just how ridiculously good Grant Williams is. And there was a stat this week. This is, this is right now. This, this, to me, shows if you talk about just a stupid, stupid level of efficiency, uh, you know, if you, you talk about offensive efficiency rating, which the formula is uh, points per game plus rebounds per game plus assists plus steals plus blocks minus missed shots minus turnovers and then – divided by minutes per game. So that's a real that's sort of the standard efficiency right. measure, barometer for for basketball players. And the, the the way to know how to compare what a college player does is take his stats there and multiply them by 1.2, which takes you to 48 minutes, which is the NBA standard. Right now, Grant Williams efficiency rating right now is 25.31. And if you multiply that by 1.2, that gives you 30.37 of an efficiency rating per game. And if you're wondering where that would rank among NBA players, that would rank second among NBA players. Only Anthony Davis creates more efficiency and explosiveness for his team per game than Grant Williams does. And he does this despite not taking a ton of shots from the field. He gets fouled a lot. He finds other ways to get involved. But it's unreal. And right now, this would tell you where guys would rank. It would be Anthony Davis, one. Grant Williams, two. Anthony Davis is good at basketball, by the way. Yeah. Number three, just behind Grant Williams, would be James Harden. Just behind James Harden would be Giannis. Just behind him would be Kawhi Leonard, and just behind him would be Steph Curry. 
that's where that's the efficiency rating that Grant Williams has. And that's why when people talk about it, it's just a shame to me that it looks like player of the year has been wrapped up and it's going to be given to Zion and no one's going to change anything about that. I, I might be wrong. A lot but, of basketball left. But and that Duke team could struggle. Oh, it could, but I, I still think there's reached we've reached a point here where, and I think Zion deserves all this because he is un, an unbelievable basketball player. Right. Uh, and now, especially with the point guard out there, Duke, he's going to have to do more. So you're going to probably see his numbers go up. But Grant Williams statistically is a better basketball player right now in the college game statistically. So I, I wonder – it's just a shame to me because I think Williams will be an All-American. He'll probably be SEC Player of the Year again. He'll have a chance to be unless he gets hurt, all that, you know, knock on wood. But it's just a shame to me that it looks like this thing in a lot of people's minds has already been wrapped up because what Williams is doing right now from an, from an efficiency standpoint is – I mean, it's beyond prolific. It's – I mean, it's better than anyone else is doing it in the college game. I think a lot of that has to do with brand name uh, and being part of the at a college basketball blue blood and, and being Zion Williamson, the guy that people have been talking about for two or three years now, uh, being the physical freak that he is, what he does, the way he plays the game, uh, so explosive and so kind of sports center-ish in terms of so many highlight plays that he makes. And and Grant Williams, if, unless you watch him night in, night in and night out, it's probably hard to appreciate a six seven big man who just kind of does what he does. It's kind of like for years what Tim Duncan was in the NBA. Right. It's just hard to – It's not exciting. You, you don't appreciate it unless you're a Spurs fan uh, and you appreciate that consistency in what he does. I mean, but but the way Grant's playing, oh, 100%, he is a player of the year candidate uh, and the way he's done it consistently. Uh, there's a lot of good basketball players on this Tennessee basketball team, a lot of complete players, uh, guys that can do different stuff. Uh, night in and night out, but Grant Williams does it the best, uh, and everybody plays off him. And he's the he's the A one A on this team where people want to start with him and finish with him. Everybody else just kind of plays off of him, and and the way he takes that responsibility every night for the last two seasons now, and just does what he does, uh, it's insane. And the way he's uh, what he's added to his game, uh, he looks like a much more comfortable uh, shooter from the three point line if he's open. Uh, he looks much more comfortable. He still wants to take more, but right. I think Rick's still in his head about right. being smart about it. Right, and that high that high release jump shot he has mid range. Uh, I mean, it almost feels automatic. Uh, that spin move he had against Arkansas Tuesday night in the first half, uh, number thirty five. I don't know what his name for Arkansas is, but uh, the way the way Grant just kind of cleared him out and had that ultra quick spin move, uh, and then the the floater with the because right he hand. almost always goes the other way, right? The way that was set up, like I that. Mean, you know how much that, that, that sucks. That Grant's made a ton of good plays, and sometimes he just rises up and dunks on people and hangs on the rim, and it's kind of crazy and catches you off guard. But that spin move, I thought, was the best play he's had all season. And, and the thing was, it sucked so much for that Arkansas player because he clearly paid attention to the scouting report. You know, going into a game against Tennessee, like you pay attention to all the scouting report, but you know. Williams and Schofield, you know their tendencies, you know which way they want to go, you know where they want to get the ball, where they want to catch it, where they're the most effective, where they're the, the, the weakest. You know the scouting report on them going into a game. And he very clearly, to the scouting report, said Williams is going to spin left. And then Williams spins right, and he just looks lost. And he spins right at 100 miles an hour and looks like he's been doing it all season. And stayed under control, too. And then just finishes with that little floater, that soft-touch floater that, uh, you know, I don't even think it touched the rim. I mean, and, and I think this really helps him. I can be quick about this, but I um, 
when I had to do that um, ridiculous uh, charity dancing thing last year, and I had to do you, you did practices like three times a week or whatever for a couple hours, and you watch all these people who are professionals at, at this thing, and you watch the way they move, and you watch how their head never never bobbles, their frame stays up, you know, because they talk about frame and stuff like that. And why am I talking about this? Because Grant Williams did some of this stuff when he was younger, and he moves like someone who did that. He moves, his frame stays big and wide, mm-hmm. he keeps his balance, and that's why when he does all these spins and whirling dervishes and all these things he does, these impossible angles that he gets shots off from, is because he has body control, because he can do things like, I mean, we used to do that river dance stuff that he did in high school and all these other mm-hmm. crazy things, because he thought he was going to go to the Ivy League and do a bunch of different things in his life, and so he has that in his bag, and you can tell how much that helps you. And it's funny because I had a cousin who was a college football player and uh, his parents made him take tap dancing when he was a kid. And he talked all the time about how that helped him play safety because you had to move on your feet the way the quickness you had to use. He said that was as good a training. Right. You know, and Lin, if, Lin Swan. Yeah. And if he hadn't had, if he had had um, sons instead of daughters, I think he would have made them do that because he would have said, this is going to help you in sports. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, Lin Swan, another great example. So, I just I see all that going on with him, and it's just really impressive what he does. And here here's the the elephant in the room, and all this this is all great that Grant's doing what he's doing, and he's developing into this basketball player that he's developing. He just kind of keeps going uh, to that next level. The elephant in the room is, I think everybody just kind of assumed he'd be back for a senior season, and if he plays at this clip all season, if he does what he does, he's going to have a decision to make. It's going to be a legit. Uh, and, and, and at some point, you have to wonder what is true upside is and whether he should just right. go. And, and he's going to go, let's be honest, he's going to go through the process. Oh, yeah, he'd be criminal you not knew, to. You knew when Admiral was going through the process last year. He should do that, it. He should do it. Bone should do it. They both should right. go Right, everybody it. should do it. Uh, take advantage and do it as many times as you can. Uh, but there is a decision to make, it feels like. If he keeps playing the way he does, if he kind of keeps ascending and, and doing what he's doing for the first, I mean, we're halfway through the schedule right now. Uh, if he does that, uh, he's got a decision to make, and then you worry about kind of what's coming back next year alongside Josiah James. You know, the weird thing about that is with, with Grant Williams, though, I just keep wondering if he he's such an unusual type of guy that he might just want to stay in school for another year just because he enjoys it, his friends are here, he likes doing what he's doing, he wants to, you know, be one of the best players in Tennessee history, and he thinks, ah, that other career will be there. Uh, I mean, I, he could be a guy who thinks like that for all I know. Because he, you know, for the guy like Admiral, if he could have gone last year, he would have loved to have. Not because he dislikes college, but because he is single-mindedly driven mm-hmm. on being the best basketball player he can be. Whereas for Grant Williams, he's not necessarily wired like that. You know, they had to convince him more with the conditioning stuff and training stuff. He didn't just take to this like a fish in water like, like Schofield and some others do, like Eve and those other guys. He has to be sort of focused sometimes. And I wonder if he doesn't want to just come back and, and – stay in college for another year just to do it. So he, he could be one of those unusual He's types. also BFS with Josiah. One of the biggest reasons Josiah, uh, he didn't come to Tennessee to play with Grant specifically, but he came because of that relationship he has with Grant. And then you think about it, before we move on to talk about Bama real quick, you think about that Tennessee lineup next year. Tennessee could have a rotation next year where it has four point guards on the floor at the same time. Yep. 
because it could, if it needed to, if it needed to go small ball, could go Bone at the one, Turner at the two, Bowden at the three, Josiah at the four, and have four point guards on the floor at the same time. The most perimeter four ever, even, yeah. in, even in the day and age of stretch four men. Yeah, I mean, because he has the size and length and, and, and you know, the athleticism and physicality to do that. And you just think, wow, what a ridiculous lineup that is. Moving on, before we get out of here, to Alabama, everyone around here's favorite uh, university, the Alabama, the beloved Alabama Crimson Tide, who, by the way, very few teams in the SEC, I think, have a winning record overall against Tennessee. Alabama's one of them. Alabama, kind of like Tennessee, has a sneaky good basketball history. And uh, Alabama has a 79-68 overall lead in this series. Good news for Tennessee, not playing this game in Coleman Coliseum, which is Tennessee's House of Horrors. Basically, it is Tennessee's House of Horrors. And uh, right now, uh, Tennessee does have a 46-22 edge when playing the Tide here in Knoxville. Avery Johnson, his guys, and Avery Johnson Jr., who plays for him, coming up here to Knoxville. And Alabama's kind of been a tough team to figure out because Alabama in the preseason <clears throat> got absolutely smoked by Dietrich Mostella and Jacksonville State. Just <laughs> And they, they played kind of a behind-closed-door scrimmage like Tennessee does with Davidson. And, and Jacksonville State whooped the tar out of Alabama in that game. And Alabama, obviously everyone knows who it lost from last season, but still brought back a lot and has recruited at a high level and still has some good, talented basketball players. Not a lot of – they have size in terms of length, not really in terms of bulk. But there's some some good players on this team. And right now, 11-5 and five overall, 2-2 two and two in the SEC – uh, has had, you know, this is the kind of team, I can sum up Alabama like this. It beat Kentucky in Tuscaloosa to open SEC play, and it also lost to Texas A&M, maybe the worst team in the league. Looks like the worst team in the league. Lost to that team at home just like a week later. On a buzzer beater or some. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, kind of a crazy play, but just even letting A&M Still, be that yeah, close you to lost. you is, is embarrassing. And I cannot figure out what's going on with Avery Johnson in Alabama because it has recruited at a pretty high level. It has won some games, but it is so maddeningly inconsistent. Uh, kudos to him, by the way, two and one record against Tennessee. So he, he's done the job there and, and Barnes is only one and three against Bama. So this he's, he's got something figured out with Tennessee and, and that's, this is a dangerous game for Tennessee, but still I just can't figure out Alabama. I, I can't figure out this team. No, and I don't think Avery's alone. I think Mike White's recruited at a really hard level, a uh, high level, and he's really maddingly inconsistent. If you're a Florida fan, I think uh, who else in the league? I had somebody else off the top of my head. Bryce Drew. Uh, he's con- he's uh, recruited at a really high level, but he's been hard to figure out at Vanderbilt. Yeah, the Garland injury really, really, right. really it, hurts him. But still, that team should not be owned for in the SEC. Correct. Uh, it should had no. It had, was up eleven late against South Carolina at right. home and lost. Saban Lee got that. That, that technical that basically cost them. Anyway, back to Alabama. I think if you're Tennessee, you, I think these players 100% remember what happened to them in Tuscaloosa last season. Uh, they went down there and lost by 28. Uh, I think Dante Hall had eight dunks in that game. Uh, they were driving to the rim uh, at will. Colin Sexton, uh, obviously, he's a lottery pick talent for good reason. He, he had his way with them. Uh, I think that's going to stand out because when they went to Alabama, it was three days removed from what they had done at Kentucky and Lamonte Turner delivering that dagger. Uh, they had won 9 out of 10 uh, going to Alabama. They were a good basketball team at that point in the season, and they got absolutely worked down there. Uh, that was such an abnormal, uh, uncommon kind of game for them uh, because they were on their way to you know winning a share of the SEC regular season title and being a number three seed and playing for the SEC tournament title. All that stuff was, was still to come. 
uh, and they got absolutely hammered down there. So I, I think you have to remember that even if it's not the same guys coming back, it's still Alabama. Uh, I think you have that burned in your memory. And, and this is a Tennessee team that's taken a very uh, professional approach to just handling its business night in and night out. So uh, a home game, a sold-out game, uh, that's going to become pretty regular over the next few games uh, in Knoxville. going to be sellouts, going to be near sellouts if it's not – uh, technically capacity so take care of business and keep going on and, and go to Vanderbilt Wednesday ne- uh, Wednesday next week uh, that's a tough place to play obviously and we talked about Vanderbilt being so wildly inconsistent just kind of keep uh, keep taking those steps forward you know what's what's really interesting is if Tennessee goes out there and handles business against Alabama and for some reason, with Duke falling down in the polls, since Tennessee has more first-place votes than Michigan now, if Tennessee somehow passes Michigan in the polls, then, you know, what happened the last time Tennessee became number one in the country, it went to Memorial Coliseum That's a good point. and lost. And Tennessee, if it got to number one this week, its very first game as number one would be At Memorial. in Memorial Coliseum against Vanderbilt. So funny how history has a way – of repeating itself. Uh, one more quick note before we get out of here. Uh, for those who have been asking about Zach Kent, Tennessee's redshirt freshman big man uh, from Delaware. What? Delaware. <laughs> he has been practicing a little bit with the team. You've been able to see that he has done more warm-ups. He's dunking. He's doing a lot of things, coming back from that knee scope. Um, but he still has not done a lot of five-on-five stuff, and he's not going to give himself a chance uh, to get out there and play in games until he proves that he can go five-on-five for a full practice. So that's where things are with Zach Kent, and I think that's pretty much about it, other than uh, unless you want to say anything about John Fulkerson and Kingsport before we get out of here. <laughs> Fulky played pretty good the other night. He did, didn't he? He's, uh, he's all over He's Fulky. He's, he's going to have his Fulky moments, but he, he hit a couple jumpers, a uh, little floater here and there. He's, he's going to do Fulky stuff. How, how much do you think a YouTube highlight reel of Fulky's greatest hits? like? And, and by that I mean – the times where he awkwardly turns the ball over, falls on the ground, and then you mix in like the dunks and the other cool stuff too. But then you kind of still do, shots of his mustache. Yeah, you do like you do like one good, one bad, one good, one bad. That could be a great YouTube video. I, I don't know what the YouTube record is, but uh, I think it would be in question. And we would go to uh, Grant's Gun Show question of the week, but we already had that with football, and it was such a good one that we are. What not. was it? Uh, it was basically which telling on myself I didn't listen. It was uh, yeah, thanks. Hashtag team player. <laughs> we'll support the team. It, it was what. If you what Tennessee football alum could be the next guy to come coach at Tennessee, whether it would be like a Jay Graham or whether Montero Hardy could come back or Dale Jones or it was a it was a good question about which VFLs could be the next ones to join the football staff. And everybody said Peyton Manning in unison. <laughs> yeah, everybody's all oh, Peyton clearly, clearly Peyton, clearly Peyton Manning. John Gruden count. Oh yeah, he's a VFL. I mean, you're a GA for a year. You're a VFL, right? All right. Give me Gruden and Peyton in that pool. His wife his wife owns land. Uh, his family owns land. Jefferson City. Near, Jefferson City. You know, everyone. There's a palace knows. Near Jefferson, in Jefferson City. And Jordan Bowden's going to talk about, talking about eating. He went to go eat at Powell's the Lamonte other day. Monte Turner is all about Powell's. I did not know that. Yes. Does he? So he has to drive. He drives out to the Jefferson City. I, I don't. One? I don't know. No, I don't know. Uh, Bowden did drive to the Jefferson City one because he had heard so much about Fulky. It's about the most Jordan Bowden thing I can ever right, think of. Exactly. It's driving forty-five minutes or an hour to go out to a palace just because he heard about it's it. It's very. It's a very JB move. But I, I asked Lamonte about it, and he said something about uh, having pals at the one near ETSU in Johnson City. So I, I don't know. It's, it's not important how they heard about the gospel. It's just that they heard the gospel. Hey, Rick loves hot dogs. So Rick. Rick could, Rick could do I've, it. I've forced Rick to go to Pals after a big orange caravan stop years ago. 
Yeah, he wasn't that impressed. No one loves anything more than Rick Barnes loves hot dogs. No, he's he's as critical as he is as a basketball coach. He's much more critical about his hot dogs, his chili, his mustard, and his coals. And his stupid, nasty North Carolina barbecue sauce. He's very North Carolinian to the core. He did ask me once. That was one of the very first questions he asked me. Uh, one of the first questions that Conzo Martin asked me when he was here was where he could get, where he could get good pizza because he had lived in Italy, and so I couldn't mess around with him on that. And then one of the first questions Rick Barnes asked me was, where's the best hot dog in town? So, yeah, hot dog. That's where we're ending this conversation today. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Uh, We'll be back next week with a couple episodes as per usual. If you want to go back, you can listen to the football one that was released on Wednesday uh, afternoon, talking about T. Martin, so there's plenty of stuff there. You can always get to us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Grant Ramey is Grant Ramey on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. Patrick Brown is P. Brown 24-7 on Twitter. And on Twitter, you can get to our staff's account at twitter.com slash govals247. You can also go to facebook.com slash govals247. A lot of people go get their govals247 news that way, and we have no problem with that. You can go get a lot of good stuff there. Join the family over there with all those likes and all those things. And, and we promise, we promise no fake news from Russia on our Facebook account. We do promise that. Uh, And if you want to go straight to the source, if you want to go drink straight from the hose, you can go to GoVols247.com. We've got a lot of great specials running into football, uh, National Signing Day, heading up there in a couple weeks. So we're going to have a couple. Stay tuned. We've got a couple of really good specials coming there. And at the very least, we always have a seven-day free trial. And I'm telling you, when people try it, the, the number of people who stay after the trial is really, really good because I think they see the product that we have. It's basically this podcast uh, in written form, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So we are always there. We are always answering Tennessee questions about anything Vols-related all of the time. That's why we call it 24-7. Grant, any final thoughts? I got nothing.